This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Al Goldberger. Al is a New Jersey attorney and veteran sports official with more than three decades experience officiating college and high school basketball and baseball and high school football. He officiated college and high school basketball for over 30 years. He also umpired college baseball for the Eastern College Athletic Conference and worked as a high school football official throughout the state of New Jersey. Al is the author of Sports Officiating, a Legal Guide, the recognized authority on the law for referees, umpires, and those who supervise their services. Based in suburban Fairfield, New Jersey, he is a member of the New Jersey, New York, and Maryland Bar Associations, counseling clients nationwide in sports industry and athletic risk management and liability defense, officiating program management, business-related disputes, administrative hearings, and contractual relations. Al also serves as parliamentarian and legal counsel to the International Association of Approved Basketball Officials. And he's also a frequent speaker to officiating and sports organizations, conference coordinators, coaches, athletic administrators, attorneys, and others involved in sports and athletic officiating administration, impacting many colleges, universities, and school districts nationally. In addition to Sports Officiating a Legal Guide, now in its second edition, he is also co-author of Sport, Physical, Activity, and the Law, a college textbook now in its third edition. Al, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. Appreciate your having me. Nice having you as always. And today's topic, Al, and it's still ever-changing, is the COVID-19 impact on youth sports. So tell our audience, Al, how have various sports been impacted over the last couple of years now? Well, John, I think the first thing we need to do when we're talking about any aspect of youth sports is a little unpacking. When the subject of youth sports in the midst of a global pandemic comes up, the conversation really begins for me, I think, with a headline I saw last summer in the Raleigh, North Carolina News Observer. And I'll paraphrase it. All sports are professional sports, maybe not for all the athletes, but for everyone else involved. Youth sports these days is a $19 billion industry viewed by many as a pathway to the fame and fortune that elite athletes often attain. The lure of all this sometimes results uh, in my view, in some skewed perspectives on the part of parents and the children involved. So I think what we need to realize about the impact of anything that presents a danger to children in the youth sports environment is sometimes not anticipated by the folks who are sponsoring, administering, coaching, or volunteering to deliver these programs and organize sports to children. In other words, I think we need to recognize that sometimes uh, when we're dealing with the children in sports, we lose perspective and that our perception that youth sports means it's a game and a children's game can be turned on its end in a heartbeat to the perception that the kids need to compete and win so they can get to that championship round 
the trophy, the scholarships, and all the financial and other rewards that, and admiration that go with such achievements. Children, being children, don't necessarily appreciate the risks associated with playing the sport. It's important to understand, I think, in this context, John, that infectious, life-threatening disease is just one of a number of threats to young athletes who play sports. Uh, I realize over the past two years, COVID has taken its place in the youth sports scene, like in every aspect of life, but in the, in the context of youth sports, COVID takes its seat at the table next to stuff like lightning, traumatic brain injury, which we've talked about before on these podcasts, unsafe facilities, non-conforming equipment, coaching personnel, volunteers are paid who are unfamiliar with rules and fundamentals involving safe play, sometimes inadequate vetting of adult staff and volunteers, any number of things that present a danger to a young athlete. So while not minimizing the impact of the pandemic, exposing young athletes to unreasonable risks, if the truth be told, is nothing new in youth sports. So we find that over the past two years, some of the state, regional, and local COVID guidelines and CDC guidelines for managing the youth sport environment uh, are used to guard against the disease ranging from education of parents and volunteers and administrators uh, in the regimens of sanitizing playing implements, social distancing, uh, other government-imposed limitations on spectators, and in some cases, elimination of spectators altogether, uh, with the proliferation of travel teams and the massive investment of many moms and dads in the development of their little D1 athlete, every parent hopes that will happen. Practice of piling the team and the staff like sardines into SUVs for a tournament in another town or maybe in another state has made travel teams lucrative for some parties. All these things, not just the games, but the surrounding activities present a potential danger to young athletes exposed to dangers that sometimes they don't have to be exposed to. And why is that? If you ask the adults, it's because they say the kids want to play, as if the kids really perceive the significance of the presence of a fatal infectious disease, potentially. Some of these same adults, of course, we, we hear and we're bombarded with the fact that people want their freedom back. They want to go to bars and they want to get their lives back to where they were before all this. It's not really happening. We know that. But the rational question for the children is, what makes sense? What reasoning compels us sometimes to disregard health authorities who have devoted their lives, in some cases, to the prevention and the mitigation of infectious disease? Now, you touched on numerous ways that sports have been impacted overall since COVID-19. Which of the sports are most affected? Well, I think without question, we're, we're talking about um, in terms of the most affect indoor sports. And to refine that or, or drill that down a little bit, 
contact sports. And contact sports uh, is a term that's thrown around, but uh, specifically, just for fun, let's talk about basketball, uh, talk about wrestling. Uh, In the basketball uh, area, of course, you have – the participants running up and down 84-foot court, breathing heavily, calling out plays, running into each other, having close personal contact. Okay, uh, Example, in the summer of 2020, Commonwealth of Massachusetts determined that basketball was high risk for COVID infections. Okay? Basketball just wasn't going to happen in Massachusetts, legally speaking. What did the folks do in, in, in the case of one tournament that had been scheduled and then canceled? They moved it to a neighboring state where the restrictions weren't imposed. Uh, so, you know, th- those are some of the things that, that we need to deal with. Uh, you know, and, and there are numerous examples like that. We don't need to stay to ma- in Massachusetts. Uh, uh, California signs were posted Back in 2020, when the pandemic started, tournaments not allowed at this particular facility due to COVID-19. Somehow or other, reported in the news, the signs came down. A tournament or two went on. So this is what we're up against. This is what the children are up against sometimes. So uh, what changes do you feel need to be implemented? Well... You know, I I think uh, like with any other area of public health, uh, you know, the people in sports, like all of us, regardless of what business we're in, need to pay attention to the science. Uh, The the American Academy of Pediatrics cites a number of things. I mean, we've we've read about a lot of them. Uh, Depending on the number of participants in a particular sport, uh, the frequency and duration of contact, the spacing that's available, uh, the ventilation of the facility. Uh, there are some things that can be, be done to mitigate the risks. Uh, the public health authorities place a lot of stock in minimizing travel to other communities and regions. And of course, one of the touchstones of youth sports is, we talked about a little few minutes ago, the travel teams. Uh, so traveling and the ancillary activities present obviously their their own risks uh, uh, to young athletes and to the adults who travel with them. Uh, the the American Academy of Pediatrics, of course, also uh, cites the usual suspect. They talk about frequently touched surfaces uh, need to be cleaned and disinfected at least daily or between uses. They talk about uh, not sharing equipment, talk about locker room use should be reduced. Uh, ventilation sometimes is not what it should be, particularly in the in the older buildings. They talk about athletes not sharing food or drink and the proper use of face masks, which have uh, come into uh, favor uh, in terms of wearing a better mask as opposed to just something covering your, your mouth and nose. And, and all of these things, of course, apply to sports. They're not always practical uh, uh, in terms of, you know, what the athletes are doing and, and, you know, is it impeding their breathing or does it, do the masks present some kind of choking hazard? And then these are all considerations. Uh, 
it's very difficult when you're dealing in youth sports where you have a high component of, of adult volunteerism uh, to get folks to, you know, frankly, to pay attention to a lot of items like hygiene and distancing and sanitizing. Uh, you know, we, we uh, I, as officials, we, we come sometimes, uh, you know, look with a jaundiced eye on some of these suggestions about sanitizing surfaces and distancing uh, in, a, in a sports venue when uh, it's impossible even to sometimes get the, the players to pull their pants up above their rear ends, uh, uh, you know, while, while playing the sport as required by the rules makers. So, you know, all of these things are dependent on uh, people who have varying views of the significance of the items and, frankly, aren't always able to, uh, to put these practices or willing to put these, these hygiene and safety practices into, into use. So how has this impacted officiating, Al, and what does, in your opinion, the revised sports landscape look like now? Well, I think uh, it has uh, impacted officiating greatly because, like with other areas of endeavor, many of the, uh, the professionals in the field uh, uh, have opted out. Uh, we, as officials, we know the games go on, uh, but we also know that without the officials, it's just a pickup game. So uh, at some point, of course, early on in the pandemic, lots of games went on. Lots of high school athletes were uh, down in, particularly in uh, Texas, if I remember correctly, playing high school baseball tournaments, high school age baseball tournaments. Uh, and uh, uh, lots of officials uh, uh, have uh, elected not to referee or umpire under circumstances of, of COVID. Uh, that superimposed on a already a nationwide shortage of officials, particularly in the youth sports area, has changed the landscape considerably. Uh, other factors, factors other than infectious disease, uh, have, have contributed to a shortage of officials, not the least of which is frequent instances of assaults on officials and poor sportsmanship and abusive behavior on the part of participants more adults than children, I have to add, but all of these things contribute to the shortage of officials. So the landscape has changed. Officials in some cases are being uh, asked to take on additional responsibilities and enforce certain regulations uh, that have something to do with the disease that also becomes problematic. Uh, officials are also being asked to uh, execute waiver documents uh, as our, our athletes as well. So all of these are factors. You mentioned a point before where in one particular case, they actually crossed over states to, to, to play an important game or match. Have there been any key rule changes or have any states been in the forefront of rule changes based on what's been happening? Uh, I think not so much rules changes, uh, John, but uh, regulations regarding some of the ancillary activities and the, uh, the travel uh, arrangements uh, and the spectator, uh, uh, whether or not spectators are permitted, uh, what number of spectators, or how they are to be uh, uh, 
comport themselves and so on and so forth. As far as plane rules changes, probably fewer than, than most people think. Most plane rules changes come about as a result of things that happen during competition uh, that, that raise either a safety concern or an enforceability concern or a concern with the balance between offense and defense in the sport. Uh, and with the games down over the past two years, there hasn't been that much that has gone on um, with mass cancellations. Uh, so in a sense, some, sport, some parts of the sports landscape have stood still and rules changes are among them. Obviously, we have venue restrictions, distancing restrictions, and other, other guidelines imposed by local health authorities. Al, what do you think the future holds? Well, uh, a fellow named Casey Stengel, who's well known to sports fans uh, from a few years back, said never make predictions, especially about the future. And I think in this case, he was probably right. But I think the future uh, for youth sports requires a recognition that, like the headline said, all sports are pro sports in a very real sense. Also, uh, in the future, we need to understand that we can't lose perspective. Okay, is it if it's going to be reason and science and protecting those who can't protect themselves? Then I think uh, there's a chance that we all could survive and youth sports could survive the global pandemic. But if it's just a case of my child wants to play and the children need to play, then we have some significant problems. Public health experts tell us that infection results from not only the close proximity of the athletes when they're engaged in the competition, but the travel, the locker rooms, the sideline, the meals, and the lack of hygiene practices. So these all can lead to infection. And if it's just my child wants to play, that doesn't seem to me like a real good reason. And we faced this before. It's not just COVID-19, John. It's unsafe facilities. Uh, it's failure to teach fundamentals. It's dangerous environmental conditions. And it's not responding properly to an incident that that might have caused traumatic brain injury, not dealing with that properly. You don't solve these things by passing out pamphlets or by educating parents. You solve them by appropriate administration of the competition, and it's becoming harder and harder. And COVID-19, very serious, obviously, but it's another thing that we have to deal with in youth sports, and we don't always deal with it well, frankly, so we need to get better. Al, thanks so much for joining us again today. My pleasure, John. Thank you. You've just listened to Al Goldberger, attorney from New Jersey, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. 
Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.